Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter, who's back in Sacramento, furthering his studies. Uh, what's your major? I am an econ major with a history minor, and I graduate in about three months. Woo! Yeah, baby. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Now, the, your history minor is NFL history, right? History. I know my NFL history, but that's because a uh, because as a child I got very into the NFL history. I wonder. I used to be able to do all the Super Bowls, but I, I'm not sure if I can. I haven't been able to do that for a few years now. But I used to be able to hit you with all of the Super Bowls going back. I think I could do teams and winners until like 1978. And then after that, I could do just the winners, but I'm not sure if I can do that anymore. But as a child, yes, very much football historian. Yeah, you're highly precocious when it comes to that. I'm real, always impressed with your command of NFL lore and uh, and games and recalls of games, and it's impressive. Um, Despite the fact someone... that my earliest football memory was <laughs> the Marlon McCree interception fumble for the Chargers, it was a uh, it was a brutal introduction to sports fandom, but yeah, given, <laughs> given that I only have 15 years of football memories, it is yeah. quite, it is a little archive up here. Well, we know now you're not a Char- Chargers fan anymore, and the irony is just when they're getting super good. But no, nope, you, know, you never know. You, you could always they, they will let you down. The Chargers will find a way to let you down, even when you think they're getting good. I know you believe in them as a a sneaky contender this year, but the Chargers oh. will find a way to let you down. You can take the Chargers out of San Diego, but you can't take San Diego out of the Chargers. Yeah, well, if Brandon Staley gets that defense turned around and he's added some key pieces already, look out. Um, of course, that's going to be the most interesting and potentially powerful division in football, the AFC West. And, you know, just for the Cardinals' luck, that's the division in the AFC they're playing this year. Plus the extra game is the Patriots. So um, the AFC games are going to be uh, much more of a challenge this year for the Cardinals, obviously. And, um, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's wow. What a bizarre off season. And, uh, and you know, I, this week we saw um, Tyler address the media Um post uh charity event which was a nice thing of him to do to give ten thousand dollars to the youth education um group in in uh phoenix uh and then to play catch with the kids after that was really great on his part um apparently he's added some cardinals related photos back to his socials he was seen with jj watt yesterday um at the workout facility with uh, the the um, award-winning strength coach, so you know, uh, take that as you will. I, these are positive signs, perhaps. Um, although there's still no real clarity as to what you know. I mean, Cliff said at the at the um, 
owners meetings that uh, everything they're in a good place with Kyler. Um, we're not sure exactly what that means vis-a-vis -vis the contract and the off-season distractions um, <clears throat> and ordeals that uh, you know, I would love to think that you know, I was hoping what this meant was that uh, while Eric Burkhart was sticking his nose and, you know, prying around trying to find trade partners, he might have been surprised at, at, um, at how little action he would have gotten. Um, and in light of, you know, I think he's done a lot of this to himself. I mean, this is his, uh, his antics have been unprecedented. I never have never agent going resorting to social media to print up a manifesto um, in the form of a ultimatum or ransom note. Um, and so, you know, and maybe Kyler started to wise up that maybe this agent isn't really working best on my, you know, behalf um, because there's been a fallout here of sorts. And um, you know, if Kyler's in full, um, you know, uh, restoration mode now and trying to, you know, get his focused on this season with the Cardinals. That'll be a wonderful thing um, for everyone. We could put this behind us. What that means via, via the contract situation, we don't know. But what we do know is that the Cardinals, um, you know, the Kyler's entering his fourth year of his rookie deal. The Cardinals, um, if they if the, a deal isn't done by May, they they will exercise the fifth-year option, which is a guaranteed $30 million for Kyler on a fifth year. If it came to that point, I wouldn't expect it to uh, one way or the other, but, uh, you know, but it's a, certainly not a too shabby a fallback option. Um, you know, no, it's not $45 million, $47 million, I get that, but, uh, you know, uh, I it's just, I think that, uh, the guy who could really nip all this in the bud, but continues to kind of just lurk in the in the shadows, is is the owner, Michael Bidwell. I mean, you know, there could be clarity right now. You could just come out and say, "Look, we're not ready to give Kyler an extension. Um, we expect him to lead us to bigger heights this year as we're continuing to progress." The contract, you know, and the contract would be forthcoming, and we we even recognize we may end up having to pay him more. Um, but at this point, we're not ready, and we, you know, we're looking forward to seeing Kyler lead this football team this year, and uh, we'll address the contract situation in the off season next year. And we do not intend to trade Kyler. Um, that's not an option for us. We we believe in him. Um, but, uh, you know, some quarterback rookie contracts don't get extended until the, after the fourth year. And this is a situation that we feel works best for us. And, uh, and that's where, how we're going to proceed. And we, um, expect Kyler to, uh, be at his best, um, in leading us, et cetera, period. That could give us all the clarity and now it's clear that Kyler's staying. It's clear that, you know, to free agents who, um, you know, let's be honest, nobody's signing up 
to, you know, sign with the Cardinals. I mean, I think there's too much, um, you know, too much of a uncertainty of what's going on here. Uh, but I don't think it's by any just cosmic fluke that as of right now, the only outside free agents the Cardinals have signed have been Will Hernandez, which I really like. Um, there's tape of him online right now from a Cardinal fan named Mac um, <clears throat> showing him uh, posting up uh, Aaron Donald and having a really good game against him. The thing about Hernandez is he's he is super strong at the point of a back. He's got to uh, improve his footwork, which Cougs will help him do. But I'll tell you what, um, you're not going to see Aaron Donald, you know, power lift Will Hernandez and throw him back into the quarterback. You're just not going to see that. And, uh, you know, Donald's played against him before enough to know it. Hernandez is, brings power to the, to the spot. So I really like that signing. And, um, and then Jeff Gladney, the, uh, the cornerback, the former first round pick who was out of football last year, dealing with his legal, um, situation of a, of a domestic violence allegation that still is pending in a civil suit. So, but, um, there'll be more coming about that, uh, uh, in the days ahead, and he's got to, you know, um, work that civil suit, see how that comes out. So while they're not pressing charges, uh, the civil suit is ongoing. So, um, and those things sometimes take time, but he's an attractive young corner. I, when I was studying his tape, um, of course, I always like, I loved him coming into the draft. I see him, I think the comp on him is Sidney Jones and Sidney Jones isn't a slot guy. Um, Gladney's a real good boundary corner. Um, I, I would, I would project him at Pat P's left cornerback spot. Um, the old spot there where he can come up and press, um, and he, or he can, he can play cushion. Um, but this is also as a kid who's a baller, who's going to come up and make tackles and force the run. Um, he fits in that way. I think that's his comfort zone. I I watched him trying to play the slot in Minnesota as a rookie, and that's where he really struggled. I mean, it takes a certain dynamic to play the slot in the NFL. There are not very many really good slot cornerbacks. That's why I've been praying for the Cardinals to, to uh, sign Bryce Callahan, the best slot cornerback available. And, and has been all along. He's the best slot cornerback free agent in this draft. I mean, in this uh, free agent class. Um, I would be wonderful if they could sign him. Or, you know, there are a couple guys in the draft that I've really, three guys actually, that I lo would love the Cardinals to get their hands on. Actually, four, excuse me. Excuse me, four, because they're the two Washington kids, Trey McDuffie, um, such a baller, and uh, or Kyler um, Tyler Gordon, who played the slot at, at Washington, played it really well. I mean, he's a gifted athlete. I think he could do it. And then Roger McCreary of Auburn, I absolutely love. He is a dog in the slot, um, and he proved it in the SEC 
dogging the likes of Jalen Smith and, and um, you know, Jamar Chase. I mean, he's had success against um, players of that magnitude already. So, I mean, he is so well prepared. And this, and then Jalen Petrie of the of Baylor, um, he's a little raw, but he's got the twitch and the feet and the suddenness to play the position. I think he's a bit of more of a project as it translates to the NFL. McCreary, you can plug and play right now. I think Gordon and McDuffie, you can plug and play right now. Um, but you know, those all you're not going to get those guys lurking around at pick fifty-five. You're going to have to make a commitment to get them, um, you know, to take them uh, in the first round or do a trade down or figure some or trade back up into the early portion of the second round if one of them is still like McCreary is there. I mean, that could be a really big big um, coup for the Cardinals if they could trade up like they did for Buddha to get McCreary. But here's the thing is, and I've, I say keep saying this, I think it's the number one need for the Cardinals because if we can get a guy who can dog the slot, you know, um, all-stars in our own division, and let alone the AFC West now, um, of Tyler Lockett, of Debo Samuel, of Cooper Cup. I mean, we haven't had a, a slot corner who could chase those guys and dog them. Um, and that's why we've been playing these soft zones, because they're trying to you know, see if they can double guys out of zones. And, of course, those haven't worked. So... But what, what, what could work is if we get someone capable of um, being super competitive in playing that slot, that would be huge for the Cardinals and it would give them a better chance um, to um, compete against uh, the teams in our own division moving forward. Um, so, yeah, it's that's going to be fascinating. I think right now what's frustrating is that there's still glaring needs at wide receiver two. Um, I posted an article the other day saying like, I think the Cardinals should get younger. there, not older. Um, not a big fan of AJ green or Julio Jones at this point. Oh man. I love the internet joke. That was just have them assemble the entire 2015 pro bowl team because Antonio Brown's still available. Odell Beckham's still available. Julio, AJ Green, just put the whole team back together as their wide receiving core. <laughs> right. Well, in Beckham's case, I mean, he's going to need, I mean, he's not going to be ready for week one. No. I don't see how he could be with, you know, torn well, He ACL. might end up missing the whole season, kind of like Bakhtiari did when he tore his ACL in January last year. So right. It took see, Bakhtiari until I mean, the I don't even think back. he's a viable option. Um, for any yeah, I don't. I don't think point. three of those are viable options. I just like that the internet wanted yeah. the Cardinals to build the entire team together again. Yeah, well, and that's been the Cardinals' mo is to sign veterans. And what's really aggravating is to sign veterans and then draft players at those positions who sit and watch the veterans. That's got to stop. I mean, this is just getting. Um, absurd. And um, I I've tweeted out, wouldn't it be the Cardinals, just like the Cardinals, to re-sign A.J. Green 
and then draft one of the studs at 23 who spends the majority of the season behind green um, while standing on the sidelines. Um, be just totally classic. And um, the the players that the Cardinals can get at 23 at wide receiver are, are so good. They could even get a good receiver at 55, like a John Mechie, the third. I love Mechie. Um, boy, oh boy, I, I would love to see them grab Mechie um, at that spot. Um, Christian Watson might be around at 55, although I think he's trending upwards. I think, you know, when you see a 6-3 guy running a 4-3 and his – ease of movement on the football field and his athletic ability. Wow. I mean, yeah, he's comes from a small program. Well, it's, you know, um, a well-known small program, um, in North Dakota state, obviously. Um, but, uh, and some of the, those players have been translating to the NFL. Um, boy, that would be a huge pickup there. And, you know, there are other players that other wide receivers are sneaky good in this draft. Um, where you could grab one at 55. But then now we also have the situation with at edge and not knowing. I mean, this draft is loaded with edge rushers. That's, that's, it's a good year to be drafting for edge players. And I think that, uh, you know, at 23, there may be a real good one there. I mean, I was doing tape work on Leo Chanel of, of, uh, of Wisconsin yesterday oh my god do i love this kid and then i did the measure his measurables at the combine and he's better in virtually ever the 40 um rep uh, you know 20 225 reps the three cone um the vertical he's he has um more impressive numbers across the board than get this hassan reddick tj watt and um Nick Bosa. I mean, he's faster. He ran a Chanel at 6'2", um, 260, ran a 4.53 at the combine. I mean, and this kid is such a baller. I mean, I can imagine the Wisconsin connection with J.J. Watt and and uh, Chanel being so fired up to be in Arizona. Um, you know, and I the tape's too good and the measurables are too good to think that he'd ever be around at pick 55. I mean, the PFF simulator has him there. Um, you know, and Cardinal fans are jumping on that as to where to pick him. Um, I think he's going to go 20 to 40 in that range. Not going to get anywhere close to 55. Reason why I say 22 is, you know, he's a Wisconsin kid, you know, Green Bay, if they get their trade for a wide receiver um, that they like or whatever, I could see them going with Chanel, um, you know, the, and and playing him. And Chanel's so versatile too; you can stick him inside like they did in Wisconsin. I mean, he's their leading tackler, um, and you know, his PFF grades last year were he was the f- highest rated. FBS uh, linebacker for um, run run stopping, and the second highest for um, rush 
um, win percentages on pass rush. I mean, this kid is an explosive athlete, and he reminds me a lot of T.J. Watt. To tell you the truth, yeah, he's he is uh, special. He's got um, he's just got a baller mentality coming after the football, and and uh, uh, that was uh, I would take him at twenty three, no problems. Um, the only guy I would take in front of him there is Jermaine Johnson. If he happens to slide that far, I'm not sure that he will actually. Um, and Trevon Walker, I mean, he's he's not going to fall that far. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I that would that pick would fire me up big time. Leo Chanel, keep an eye on him. Um, but as the Cardinals do doing their preparations, it's interesting to note that uh, they're scouting quarterbacks. Um, in preparation to take one in the draft. Um, and that's interesting to me, too, because if this was B.A., he'd say, well, I have Murray and I have my favorite backup, so we don't really need to address that position here. Um, but it makes a lot of sense because even though McCoy's on a second-year deal, the only question with McCoy is, you know, will, would he at his age have the longevity if he had to make prolonged starts? I don't see why he couldn't. And the way that older quarterbacks, savvy quarterbacks, have been playing well in the league, I mean, if I'm Colt McCoy, I wouldn't be counting out maybe making a historic run if it, if he was called to do that um, the way that, you know, perhaps even the way that Kurt Warner did. I mean, Colt has raved about Cliff's system. Feels like he's a great fit in it. Um, and he played like it in, in those road wins without Hopkins, without Hudson. Um, made the most, was a classic point guard. Got the ball out on time to the playmakers. I mean, it was just such fun football to watch. Um, so clean. Got the snaps off cleanly. Um, so he's a real good fit. He's got two years on a contract now. It's not like he's just a one-year one year guy moving forward. And that was huge for the Cardinals because, when you know, with Kyler, who's had the injury histories, you got to have a plan B. And, you, and I think now the Cardinals are working on a plan C. Um, be it, you know, uh, and I'm probably could be a third-round pick or they'll wait until – you know, there are a couple prospects they, they were just working out two days ago in Florida that we're going to talk about in a minute that both are very intriguing to, to me. And I'm going to post their video stuff on the Revenge of the Birds with this article, and you can take a look for yourself. I've been watching the tapes on one of them, EJ Perry from Brown. I, I, I know of this kid because he, he first played at Boston College where I am an alum and watch every game and know a lot about the program. I always really liked this kid, and he was—he set all kinds of Massachusetts State passing records up in Andover, um, and is a terrific athlete. And then uh, he was all Ivy League at Brown, and then was uh, played very well in the postseason All Star games in the East West Shrine game. Um, he was, a, I think, an MVP, um, led fourth quarter comebacks. And, um, 
and played really well. Kid's got a great arm. You've got a scouting report on him, right, Kyle? I do indeed have a scouting report on Mr. E.J. Perry. So some of the strengths that they list, very good athlete at quarterback position, put up a 4.6540, 34.5-inch vertical at the combine. Dual threat player, always a threat to break out of the pocket and make big yardage. Good accuracy overall, including excellent accuracy on short timing routes. Dual threat quarterback with footwork and mobility. Gets the ball from one hash to the opposite and doesn't always look to run, but he can take time in the pocket to wait. So some of the weaknesses they list for him is an inconsistent downfield passer who puts too much air under his throws. Undersized and shortened stature, sales throws to either sidelines, receivers make him look good with acrobatic catches, back foot throws are less accurate than hoped for, sometimes trusts his arm too much trying to stick passes late in the play or when off balance, strong enough arm to make basic throws but has only average overall arm strength, footwork is underdeveloped and his throwing mechanics are less than expected, a uh, little undersized for the position, and the summary that they list for him, this is according to NFLDraftBuzz.com, by the way. Yeah. EJ e. Perry is an excellent athlete at the QB position who possesses very good speed and is a natural escape artist. He, however, has suspect mechanics and poor footwork, only average arm strength, and has played at lower collegiate level in the Ivy League. Given his skill set, Perry will likely be looked at as a late-round pick who could be a backup in an offense that makes extensive use of the RPO game. These guys list him as their quarterback eight. My buddy Blake Jude, who he's done draft stuff with me for the last three years, and he scouts like 260 prospects. He lists him as quarterback 11, and uh, it seems like the top seven are pretty locked in, and then – Eight through eleven are kind of flexible between Perry, Jack Cohn, Brock Purdy, and Skylar Thompson. So it seems like right. those guys kind of alternate somewhere between eight and eleven. You know, right. sixth, seventh round type of quarterbacks. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that EJ Perry this um, postseason in his All Star performances and during the weeks in practice put to rest some of the issues, the negatives that were brought out in that scouting report. Um, He was delivering the ball on time. You can go watch his highlights of of those games. I'm going to post highlights of them anyway. Um, And um, what this was well before uh, what I was doing, prowling around at quarterbacks myself, he jumped out on the, on the tape for me when I watched him play because he looks like a classic Kingsbury type quarterback to me Um, with the, the skill set looks that way. And he's tough nosed kid. Um, And um, he can sling it. I mean, he's got a really good arm Um, and he's, he's pretty dang accurate too. As you, you will see on the, you can see for yourself, Judge from your own eyes. Yes, it was a lower competition at, at Brown, so you got to take it. But let's be clear. I mean, EJ Perry is a project coming into the NFL. Um, he'd be 
for starters, a good guy to draft because he'd be an excellent scout team quarterback because he can do it all. Um, he can throw from the pocket. He can run um, off schedule. He's the kind of guy that you draft late in the in the draft, and you, then you develop him. And what Click's really good at is developing all of his quarterbacks. He doesn't just pay attention to the starter or the backup. He's always been like that at um, Texas Tech and at Texas A&M. Um, and so, uh, as a result, uh, you know, E.J. Perry could make sense in the sixth round, seventh round, and you, you have him as your your uh, your scout team quarterback, and you try to get him ready to be a QB2 at some point and possible spot starter at some point. Um, but it's got to start somewhere. I like I like the thought of that, particularly since the Cardinals have all these late picks. Um, grabbing a quarterback in there would be would be fine. Okay, so EJ Perry was one of the two quarterbacks the Cardinals worked out recently. The others, uh, Chris Oladakum, um from uh, South Dakota State was a, a South Florida transfer, played this year, 6'2", 195. Uh, boy, I really love the tape on him. I can see what, what uh, Cardinals were seeing when they watched his tape. Uh, South Dakota State passed for 3,000, over 3,000 yards this year at 62%, 25 to 7 TD to interception ratio, which is good. I mean... Uh, but you can see this is a natural thrower of the football, and he's got escape moves, um, natural good athlete runner, um, throws a real tight spiral um, and, uh, you know, poetic, easy, effortless power arm. Um, really loved it. Loved watching his tape. It was, came as quite a surprise because I didn't even know if he was on the radar really. But the Cardinals worked him out. I mean, he's from Tampa, so they worked him out um, down there yesterday or the day before. And, um, he's he too could be a late round pick to try to develop um, behind Colt and Kyler, um, and uh, uses a scout team quarterback and develop him while you're doing it. And you know, in a couple of years, maybe you're QB two or. You know, you can fill in as a spot starter, or maybe, who knows? Could end up being Tony Romo or something. Um, you never know at the quarterback position. But I've always felt like, and this is where I'm not as desperate about the Kyler situation um, as as perhaps maybe others are, is, is that you know I'm always you know I think that if you give Cliff Kingsbury a stable of quarterbacks competent quarterbacks he doesn't necessarily need a Patrick Mahomes type type star he just needs he needs good point guards basically at the quarterback position and he develops them all and you provide him for the first time in his coaching head coaching career with a stout defense he's going to win a ton of games I mean his offense is too is too good um, and, and too, too high powered, um, to be denied, uh, regardless of at times 
of who is playing quarterback. And, um, you know, I, I think back to the Oklahoma-Texas um, Tech game in Cliff's last year. I mean, you know, the, the what a game that was. It was awesome. Um, and, uh, I mean, it ended up being 51-46 uh, Oklahoma. The Texas Tech intercepted Kyler Murray twice in the first half. They had the lead. At, uh, they were playing unstoppable offense with Alan Bowman, their quarterback. He was having a career first half. And wouldn't you know what hard luck was on the last play of pr- pretty much the last play of the first half with Texas Tech leading. Bowman gets tackled um, while trying to score and uh, hurts his hip, I think it was and could not come back into the game. Um, so in comes um, a, uh, <laughs> a quarterback named Jet Duffy. I mean, raise your hand if you ever heard of the name of Jet Duffy. Um, and lo and behold, oh, my goodness. I mean, you thought at that point, well, Oklahoma's just going to steamroll from here. and But no, Jet Duffy plays – an outstanding second half uh, throws for 139 yards, two TDs and no interceptions. And he's a, a mobile kid who was, who was uh, getting some yards on broken plays and played his heart out and took Kyler Murray and the Sooners down to the wire. Of course, lost 41 to a uh, 51 to 46 in a game that really, if you think about it, I mean, at the time, Texas tech was five and three, they win that game beating Kyler Murray and, and the Sooners to go six and three. I, he's probably still at Texas Tech. I mean, what that would have done for their program um, and the morale would have been amazing. Um, but, you know, here again, I mean, victim of circumstances too, is that so not only do they lose that game, but but Bowman's out now. I mean, they're, they're starting quarterback going to – that's why those late season swoons at Texas Tech, there are circumstances there that, you know, tied into what we've seen with the Cardinals. I mean, has Kyler Murray been himself past um, Thanksgiving in the last two years, maybe even three years? Um, no. And, you know, that's something that if Cliff can turn around, if Kyler can turn around, if his stable of quarterbacks can turn around, you're looking at a different scenario. And if his defense can get stouter, um, but that's where, you know, Cliff could still be coaching Texas Tech right now. And, you know, you, they had some success this year. So, I mean, you never know how these, these things can, you know, fate can turn on a single play. Um, also, I mean, Kyler did not have – he ended up having – pretty good numbers like 360 yards three touchdowns but the two interceptions it was not one of Kyler's best games but he fought back and played played well enough to win the game and brought them back to win the game but if Bowman stays in that game and outduels them as he was in the first half and Oklahoma loses think of what happens then does Kyler win the Heisman Trophy probably not does Oklahoma go to the Big 12 championship game with two losses, I don't know, uh, you know, and 
if the, if that's the case, would Oklahoma get invited as one of the final four, the FBS? Um, absolutely not. I mean, they just got in by winning, winning the Big 12. Um, I think they were a four seed, right? And Alabama was a one seed. Or was it Clemson one? Maybe they were a three seed. Alabama was two that year. Yeah, that was probably it. What year um, was this? Was it 2000? Uh, two, 2018. 2018. That was yeah. the year that Alabama was the one, Oklahoma was the four. Yeah, there and you go. Then I think that was the first Ohio State Clemson year. So I think that was the year that Clemson would that would that have been the year that Clemson? It couldn't have been the year that he threw the interception at the end, was it? There had to have been something else in between. I'm trying yeah. to remember now. <clears throat> So, getting back to Cliff and Kyler, um, wow, what a fateful outcome that game was when you think about it now. And, of course, you know, you can see why Cliff was so high on Kyler the whole time. I mean, Kyler is gifted. Um, and, um, you know, I, I there's no question about Kyler's um, talents and his skill set. No question about that. So, uh, and now what Kyler has to clean up is, and do something about is, you know, be able to finish. And um, as I've said before, finishing in sports is the hardest thing to do. Um, you just never know. Um, and then that's what makes sports so interesting is, you know, and sometimes playing with a lead or being favorites doesn't help you. The Cardinals always seem to be better when they're underdogs for some reason, um, probably because they're so used to being underdogs. Um, but down the stretch, to think that the Cardinals lost five of the last six games, and in five of those games they were favored, with three of those games at home they all lost. Um, oh, so frustrating. Um, and so close to winning the NFC West. And, um, and would love to be in that position again. And they could have not think of this. I mean, in that Monday night football game, when the Cardinals were favored and still ahead in the division, um, with a tiebreaker potentially against the Rams, um, you know, they could have done the delivered a knockout blow to the Rams that night. Um, they could have sent them reeling backwards. I mean, that's how precarious some of these situations are. Of course, the Rams knew that, and they came ready um, and poised to get the their, you know, to try to dominate that game, not just win it. And of course, they did. So, um, and it certainly didn't help for the Cardinals to have Justin Pugh out. Um, and we saw what Aaron Donald's impact was on that game. You know, the Cardinals also talk about quarterbacks. They've spent quite a bit of time with Malik Willis. Um, that's interesting. They've been connect, you know, connecting to him and developing a relationship with him. I mean, he checks a lot of the boxes. I mean, the, he's got a cannon of an arm, and he's a good athlete. Um, he's super raw, for sure. I mean, I don't think he's a plug-and-play starter. Um but, you know, just in case, I mean, I don't know if 
you know, if, if the agent's going to press for a trade and the Cardinals are listening, um, which I wouldn't blame them to at least listen. I mean, the Panthers have the number six pick. Um, they've been linked to the Cardinals, uh, you know, in terms of speculation. I haven't seen any, you know, thing to confirm that um, the Panthers have shown interest in Kyler, but the media is certainly projecting it. I mean, I woke up last Sunday morning and um, started reading the Boston Globe Sunday section, sports section, which they've got great writers on there on Sunday talking about the Patriots and the NFL. One of the captions was uh, speculating Panthers' interest in going full bore after Kyler Murray. Um, from Mike Reese, I believe it was one one of the really great writers for the Patriots. Um, so, I mean, <clears throat> that's just connecting dots because really the Saints and the Panthers are the are the teams remaining who you know have been trying to land, you know, Deshaun Watson, for example. They've been trying to do all they can to sign a you know quarterback of their liking, and um, if it came down to that. I mean, I think the Cardinals have done their due diligence. I don't know how much they've looked at Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral. Matt Corral, by the way, if you watch his tape and you look, I imagine Cliff Kingsbury has a ton of respect for that kid. Uh, uh, he's that kid's a leader. He's he is um, man. His and by the way, when we're talking about Kenny Pickett, you know, there's a Cardinal. Col- connection built in there um in that uh kenny pickett's our offensive coordinator at pittsburgh who absolutely loves this kid is mark whipple spencer whipple's dad from umass um who spent many years in the nfl as an as an offensive assistant in fact was on the same staff with ba at pittsburgh i'm whipple was quarterbacks coach when ba was uh was offense coordinator there. Whipple also, um, my buddies and I once went and saw him coach for the Eagles as an assistant coach at Gillette Stadium. And um, you know, Whipple is one of the great offensive minds. Uh, he uh, left Pittsburgh to go uh, take the Nebraska offensive coordinator job and got a couple transfer quarterbacks in there. Keep an eye on Nebraska this year. Uh, you know, uh, Scott Frost needs a winning season, but he he hit, he hired a dandy. And, and part of, you know, uh, why Whip wanted to uh, move to Nebraska is he's got this beautiful home in, in uh, Scottsdale, I believe it is, in Arizona. Like this, he's from Arizona. In fact, uh, he was a all-state quarterback at Arizona and went to Brown <laughs> and uh, played for had a great career at Brown, like E.J. Perry. Um so there is the Whipple connection when it comes to Pickett. And we, I know that, uh, you know, I'm sure that Spencer's on to it, uh, you know, and, and um, having watched all his Pickett's games. And uh, there's a, a huge, huge affinity for him in the Whipple family. Um, and if you go back and watch Pickett, how he played this year, I mean, he was he was a legit Heisman candidate. Um, and... Uh, led Pittsburgh to, uh, you know, to outstanding season. Uh, he stayed in his extra year to get this done. Um, you got to give him credit for that. He's got tons of, he is, you know, Mel Kuyper says this, Todd McShay, Daniel J- 
Jeremiah, they're all saying that the one quarterback who's the most NFL ready is is Kenny Pickett. So, you know, there is a Cardinals connection there. I don't know if parlay into anything, but uh, but hey, it's worth mentioning. Justin Malik Wills goes back to um, for a couple months now. Um, it's just interesting the Cardinals are paying so much attention to him. I don't know if that'll mean anything. Um, the other scenario would be if the Cardinals got a six round, that's number six pick. They could even, if they like some one of the other quarterbacks that they think could be available at 23, they could go ahead and, you know, take one of the great edge rushers at six or one, you know, the top wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. They could get at six, maybe one of the top corners like Sauce Gardner. Um, or Stingley, I mean, they'd have options at six, which would be fairly compelling. You'd also have the all the three of the Georgia defensive line studs and then decide, you know, could decide on a quarterback um, at 23. Um, maybe Matt Corral um, is there at 23. Um you never know. Some some pundits are thinking that the quarterbacks may not go um, as early as people think. And I think that's probably going to be true. There may be some surprises at 23. Maybe even a Kenny, Kenny Pickett um, because of the hand size issue. Uh, but Kenny Pickett can chuck it, man. <laughs> He's a playmaker. So, um, And you also have Desmond Ritter who I think Cliff would really have a lot of respect for. This kid's a winner. Um, he's not the flashiest of quarterbacks, but he is um, – he's steady and uh, he's strong um, uh, and he is super competitive. Um, and he's, he's someone to keep an eye on. I think he's going to – whoever drafts that kid is going to be pleased. Uh, and then there's Sam Howell. Who, if you watch his tape from 2020, oh my God, was he on fire? Um, of course, he had his weapons back then, and this year he, you know, he lost his top receivers, and he had an off year in comparison to what he did on 2020. But this is a turbo version of of Baker Mayfield. I mean, and Mayfield in his best. I mean, Howell has an absolute Wurlitzer of an arm. I mean, he is, he can drive the football and he can flick it. Um, and he is tough as nails, this kid. I mean, I saw games where he just was trying to run over people to get first down yardage. Um, he takes a, some lickings and keeps on ticking. If you watch his tape, um, there's a lot to like about him uh, as well. Um, so, I mean, who knows? Uh, but I think we can anticipate. I'm not sure what this means about what they see in Trace uh, McSorley, who they picked up last year from the Ravens. I mean, he's he's still under contract. Um, you know, and I don't, because he's in the last year of his rookie contract, the Cardinals may be thinking, well, He's still a project. It may be taken more than one year, so we're apt to lose him next year. So maybe what we do is draft a younger quarterback to groom. But as I said, if you give Cliff a stable of quarterbacks 
and I mean it, a stable, like free, to um, be able to handle things when when Kyler gets injured or Colt gets injured, or as we've seen, the Cardinals have had to, you know, dip into the quarterback depth the last couple of years. They moved on from Streveler, um, you know, and he ended up with the Ravens. And uh, and then, of course, they got McSorley back, but you know, they moved on from Hundley. Hundley had to play the first year. Then, interestingly, curiously, he was behind Streveler in year two. Um, that turned out to be maybe a big mistake come the you know that last Rams game I mean to get I, I don't blame Streveler and he actually played better than Russell Wilson did a week later against that Ram defense but but Streveler I mean if you're going to get your first NFL action and coming in that situation and a winner go home at the Rams against that defense which was the number one defense in the league la- that year oh boy I mean Let's face it. That's that reminds me of the the Lou Holtz story, where uh, he said that um, when he got to college, he always sat in the back of cl- the classrooms and yucked it up with friends and everything, and that finally in one class he wasn't doing that well. As a result, he thought he'd turn over a new leaf and um, this time sit in the front of the class. And he noticed there sitting in the front of the class was the valedictorian of his high school. So, yeah, I'm going to buddy up with him. This is perfect. So he sits down and starts talking to his buddy. And his buddy's like, man, Lou, you're in front row now? And he goes, yeah, man, I'm really into this. Let's let's get it on. Like, so and then <laughs> this kid walks in who everyone knew was like the class genius. I mean, just like super nerd, super smart, Mensa type, um, who's like getting A-pluses in every class. He comes in and sits down next to Lou Holtz on his right, okay? So uh, <laughs> so Lou Holtz then says, <laughs> the professor walks in and he goes, okay, students, I want you, this, this course is so hard that Let's deal with realities. I want you to look at the student on your left and look at the student on your right and understand that only one of the three of you will be here by the final exam. You're more than likely to drop out. So I just want to make that clear to you now. So <laughs> Lou Holtz looked at the valedictorian to his left and the Mensa dude to his right, and he said, the smartest thing I ever did was drop that class immediately. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it feels like is, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you'd be smart and, um, <laughs> do the smart thing, but, uh, but anyway, I think it is smart of the Cardinals to, to do what Bruce Arians never did. I mean, he did draft, um, you know, uh, the, the, uh, kid from Virginia tech, um, turned tight end now. Um, uh, Logan oh Thomas? Yeah, Logan Thomas in a fourth round. And Arians went out and worked him out himself. But amazingly, cut him in, you know, the second training camp. Didn't last more than a year. And then 
refused to pl play him at another position, which I think in retrospect was also a mistake because you, you gave up a fourth-round draft pick. But I think the Cardinals would be smart to keep building at the quarterback position to give themselves options because they've had injuries at the position and because the quarterback coach, the head coach, is a quarterback guru. And I'll tell you what, he'll have a third-string quarterback ready um, to step up if if one of the first two go down, um, he did he did that at Texas Tech. I'll tell you what, go back and watch Jet Duffy play his heart out in the second half of that Texas Tech game where they nearly beat Oklahoma. I'll tell you what, you know, tons of respect for that kid um, who left it all out on the field, and tons of respect for Cliff Kingsbury. And while I'm saying it, I want to. This is what I feel, and I, I can't stress this enough, is I think right now, I mean, I think that Cliff, because he falls on the sword for everybody else and because he comes across as, you know, he's not, he's passive with the media, willfully so. He's not going to give them too much. He's always going to defend his players and this and that. It's part of the reasons why his players love him and love playing for him. But and he sort of acts the part of the Shakespearean fool who, if you ever watch plays where Shakespeare has a fool on stage, the irony is the fool's always the smartest person on stage. Um, no one takes him seriously. And yet, you know, um, when you look at it closely, the fool is the only wise one or one of the only wise ones um, in the action. So, uh, but with Cliff Kingsbury, what I I think he's a tremendous asset in the sense that I feel like our offense will always be good, no matter who's playing quarterback, because of his offensive knowledge, um, his ability to coach it. And I, I think there's certain you know things that he's gonna be able to do with the offense with different quarterbacks. Like, that's the other thing about Cliff is he's so flexible. That's why he was able to get so much out of a, a Jet Duffy is that, you know, the, he changes play calling for Duffy. Um, you know, Cliff tries to play play call to his quarterback's strengths. I mean, when you look at the, the quarterbacks he was successful with, starting with Johnny Manziel, I mean, what a different skill set to go from Johnny Manziel to Baker Mayfield, I mean, very different, to Patrick Mahomes, to Alan Bowman. I think um, there was also a Davis Webb in there somewhere. Davis Webb, another great, perfect example, okay? Um, and Davis Webb was, what, a third-round pick? I mean, you know, uh, by the Giants, wasn't he? Uh, is he still around? He Davis. he is, and we were. I think he's. Um, I think he's in Buffalo now, but he is still around at this point. Uh, yeah. Davis Webb is. Oh, he was on Buffalo. He's now back on the Giants. So he was with Buffalo and followed Dayball to the Giants. He was a third round right. pick back in 2017. So he spent the last three years on the on the uh, Buffalo Bills practice squad. So and now he's back with the Giants with Dayball. Yes, he's the third stringer for the Giants right now. All right, well, or second that, stringer? I'll tell you Maybe. what. I mean, Dayball being a QB guru, if he likes him, uh, you know, 
that says a lot um, that he wants to bring him with him. And um, in this day and age, having three quarterbacks, I mean, I would advise all teams to keep three on the roster. Oh, he's unless... also he's their fourth. So he's their fourth string quarterback right now because I forgot they also have Lewerke from Michigan State. So he is the practice squad quarterback competing with Lewerke right now okay. for the Giants. All right. Well, the fact that he brought him with him would probably indicate that he wants to keep him in some capacity. Now, at this point in his career, I don't think you m- might have to worry about losing him to waivers and they can keep him on the practice squad, um, you know, if need be, or and then activate him as QB2 if they need to. So, But the fact that he's still in the league is, you know, it's credit to him and it's credit to Cliff. I mean, he got a lot out of a lot of web um, in Texas Tech. Uh, so much so then, that he replaced him, Baker Mayfield with Davis Webb. <laughs> exactly, and uh, then came Patrick Mahomes. And uh, wow, if you go look up Mahomes' numbers at Texas Tech, eye popping. Um, unfortunately, you know. Uh, Texas Tech's defense during that era was not great. And when, you know, later in the year where there's attrition, and you know, it catches up to you. And I don't know if anyone's ever, I mean, Texas Tech now is really on the map in basketball. And that makes much more sense because you, if you recruit seven good kids, you can compete. I mean, but in a football team with going up, you know, in, in the Big 12, recruiting against the heavyweights, it's going to be tough. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think, you know, particularly for Cliff, what he probably, a mistake he might have made was focusing his recruiting too heavily on quarterbacks. But he wanted to maintain that Texas Tech quarterback cr- tradition that he helped to start. Um, and, you know, well, it's also, te- it's really hard to, to recruit and win at Texas Tech, right? So I, I went back to the, you know, the final Mahomes season for Texas Tech, the one that everyone jokes about where they went, uh, or I think it was the first year post Mahomes, they went like three and six and like six and six in total. But looking back, it was like, okay, Oklahoma was great that year. TCU was great that year. Oklahoma State was great. Texas is always going to be somewhat competitive. And this was the rise of Iowa State, which, you know, Matt Campbell's one of the premier coaches anywhere right now. So it's always just really difficult to compete in the Big 12 when you're one of the schools that doesn't have the same resources as some of these other programs. Yeah. And I mean, Lubbock is tucked away in West Texas. Um, it's not really close to Dallas or Houston. You know, that's a, sometimes geographically it's tough to recruit when you're, you know, you don't have the allure of one of the big cities and, and uh, you know, the, the the charm that comes with that. So, you know, I when people are posting these cliff swoons down the end of the at the end of the season, I don't take them that seriously about the Texas Tech stuff, because if you go and watch those games, as I have, because I, I love studying Cliff's offense. And I can tell you all right now, we're not having even begun to see, you know, the total, uh, you know, um, star power of, of Cliff's offense yet. Um, 
you know, he's putting in his stuff in stages, but, uh, but, and he's forgotten more football than most coaches even know. I mean, he is such a student of the, of offense and the game that, uh, uh, he's, he's talk about preparation. That's why I kind of really recoil when fans are scapegoating him for the late, late season swoons with the Cardinals is that, you know, I think, you know, certainly it's been tied to the defense um, suddenly now not being able to hold its own. And with Kyler being injured and trying to come back from injuries, although his ankle seemed fine once he took the month off and got it rehabbed. But I don't know. You know, there's – I think that coaching Kyler has its challenges at times. Um, because Kyler's pretty stubborn about what he wants to do. I know that Cliff says that every week they agree on the plays where Kyler feels comfortable running. Um, and uh, I think that that has, you know, held some of this offense back, to tell you the truth. Um, I thought I was seeing more of a Cliff Kingsbury offense with Colt McCoy when he played it was getting the ball out faster. It was uh, taking what the defense gives you. It was uh, go through your progressions smoothly, get the ball snapped cleanly, um, get off the ball. It was a little more efficient. And, uh, you know, no few people bring the dynamics and the playmaking abilities that Kyler brings for sure. And, you know, but consistency of preparation and consistency of, um, you know, uh, running an offense and executing it are, are huge down the stretch, particularly in finishing off seasons and games. So, you know, Kyler's young, and uh, hopefully he'll be more open to suggestion as we go along. Because, um, man, if he ever decided to use his feet on bootlegs, sprint outs, even moving the pocket over the tackle as they did on that great bomb that he threw to JJ, AJ Green in the Rams game at LA that they won. Um, that was huge. Just moving that pocket. It's not, and that, that's the other thing with Kyler. It's not a pocket. It's not a pocket if you never step up into it. So that's, that's what presents the Cardinals offensive lineman with, in, with a quandary is it, you're not traditionally blocking a pocket. Um, you're blocking a spot to prevent um, defenders descending upon Kyler's spot. And now they're savvy enough to know that Kyler won't usually step forward, so he's going to either spin backwards so the edge people are keeping outside arm free to be able to take him down if he spins. Um, they're playing it smart. That's the adjustments they've been making. But if Kyler ever moves around more, like they say, a moving target's harder to hit. Um, the pressure that's going to put on defenses, because then also if he's running around in the open field, you know, with with green grass ahead of him, that is the number one thing every defensive coordinator playing prepping against Kyler Murray fears most is somehow him getting out in the open where him taking off is a threat. And because he's reluctant to run through the middle, 
um, in, in passing situations, I think it makes it even more attractive to try to seal down on the edge and pop him loose on the perimeter and have him scan the field downfield for, for receivers coming across the field or, or a deep route or, you know, um, and making good decisions on the run, which we've seen he can be brilliant at. So, um, but I think it's good that the Cardinals are paying attention to the quarterback um, unit as a whole. It could be exciting to see what they do in the draft. And, um, and like I say, if we can get Cliff a stable of quarterbacks um, that he's comfortable with and he's going to be developing, uh, uh, boy, that's a great scenario for the Cardinals. And maybe the cupboard never really gets bare again as it did in the, you know, the end of the B.A. era. So and one last thing today was, <laughs> um, wow, and I, I was thinking recently how um, – Boy, if the Cardinals could just get some sort of a miracle to save us from, you know, what's been a really... I mean, look at it this way. Compare the buzz at this time last year to the buzz this year. I mean, let's be honest. It's just so drastically different. Um, I mean, I, I said last year, I never looked so forward to a season as I was last year. And for much of the season, that was great reason to look forward to. Um, you know, now I, there's just so many, you know, you just wonder what's going on. And, um, the buzz is, you know, the, like they say, the bloom is off the rose. I mean, the buzz is gone. Um, I, I don't feel it to you. I mean, uh, I think the Cardinals' moves that they've made to re-sign their guys have been great. And I love the two young players they signed. I think they'd be great additions. They're going to need work, but they're going to be good. But, you know, suddenly not being a, the odd man out in free agency, not, not addressing, you still have three glaring needs that I don't know if you can really address in the draft. And then we have coaches who are reluctant to play rookies. That whole thing is just daunting to begin with. So, you know, I, want to get the buzz back and I was thinking wouldn't it be nice if what the Cardinals really need now is a Hale Murray um, for this offseason and to make everything that potentially was going wrong seem right again and give us all a buzz and just as I was thinking that I, last night I was teaching a adult ed writing class creative writing class at Tri-County High School um, in Franklin, Mass. And I left my laptop in the um, classroom where I was teaching. I got home and I, it's like a 25 minute drive. So, I, oh my gosh. And now it's too late and the building would have been locked up. And so at 7 a.m. this morning, I made the effort to get back over there to be there when the building opened and the teacher was in her room and she couldn't have been sweeter and handed me the laptop and so oh, i'm so relieved i just bought this thing uh, you know it's a macbook air it was more than i was hoping to spend but i figured it was worth the investment but anyway so i was so relieved and i'm driving back home and i was like hey i'm gonna pull over for a you know sausage Mc egg mcmuffin and uh and so uh, I drive up and 
give my order and I come up to the window and there is this 20, I would say she's probably 22 years old girl. This is in Franklin, Massachusetts, wearing a Cardinals hoodie with a huge Cardinal on it. And her hair is dyed Cardinal red. And I was like, whoa, you're a Cardinals fan? She goes, yeah, I'm from Arizona. I said, what are you doing out here? She goes, I don't know, but I want to go back pretty fast. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, but hey, Cardinals. So we were like both like, you know, fist pumping for the Cardinals. Uh, felt like a little mini miracle. You know, miracles aren't necessarily about what can't happen. It's the timing of when they happen. So I'm going to take that as the sign of the Cardinal itself, a sign of hope. And uh, let's hope for a great week. And uh, let's hope. Like in the immortal words of Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas, tonight's going to be a good night. <laughs> so thank you to Kyle Edbetter. Thank you to all of you. And as always, uh, may the red rain fall down on you into a red, red sea. Red rain. <laughs>